Amen. Thank you, worship team. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Acts chapter 19, fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 19, when you get there, hold on to your spot there. want to let you know, for those of you that live in Forest Hills, Queens, uh, on May 3rd, we're going to have a meet and greet after every uh, service on May 3rd in one of the rooms downstairs. I live in Forest Hills, so I, many times I see a lot of new lifers in the supermarket and at Starbucks and all that there. And so it is great to be in close proximity, but my goal is to get as many people connected in that neighborhood. And we're going to be doing that in different neighborhoods as the year goes on here. So May 3rd, just mark your calendars. After every service, we're going to have a little meet and greet for Forest Hills neighbors there. Uh, we're sp- beginning a new series today, and really this new series is... Uh, Uh, This message today is more of an introduction, a summary of where we are going. Uh, The series is going to be called Vital Signs, looking at uh, different uh, signs of a a deep transformed beneath the surface uh, life in God. But today is more of a, uh, the preface, the prologue, a summary of where we're going to go. And so uh, Acts chapter 19, when you get there, hold on to your spot. If you put the the, um, PowerPoint up there, that'd be great. Let's go to God in prayer. Let's invite him to speak to us at this time. Father, thank you for the beautiful truth that we are covered, covered by your grace. No matter what we've done, uh, you have covered us with your love. And so, Lord, I pray uh, during this time that you would open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear your voice. Give us a heart to receive uh, every good gift you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. A few years ago, there was a megachurch in Chicago that created a survey called the Reveal Study. And the goal of this study was to assess the spiritual state of Christians in this country. And this megachurch realized that beneath the massive mall-like churches, beneath the stadium-filled churches, beneath the laser light shows and the massive crowds, beneath all of that, people were not changing deeply. As a matter of fact, People, most Christians were stuck. And so it was out of this research that uh, one of the more uh, well-known church leaders in this country confessed that uh, their approach to Christian spirituality and Christian formation was wrong. This is one of the more well-known pastors in the country. And basically he said, everything that we have been doing for the most part has been wrong. And this is uh, a quote from him. He said these words, uh, we made a mistake. What we should have done when people crossed the line of faith and became Christians, we should have started telling people and teaching people that they have to take responsibility to become self-feeders. We should have gotten people, taught people how to read the Bible on between services, how to do spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own. Now, our mission at New Life is to be a multi-ethnic community, uh, leading people to a deep personal relationship with Jesus, leading people to a beneath-the-surface transformation through the love of Jesus. And we realize at New Life that although this is our mission, although it says it on the wall when you walk into the church, many of us feel stuck. Many of us are stuck emotionally. Many of us are stuck relationally. Ultimately, many of us are stuck spiritually. And our stuckness comes as a result of something called secondhand spirituality. Now, we all know the dangers of secondhand smoke. Uh, 7,500 people die each year 
as a result of secondhand smoke. But just as dangerous uh, secondhand smoke, maybe even more dangerous than secondhand smoke is secondhand spirituality. Secondhand spirituality is deadly. And secondhand spirituality essentially is this. It, it is the ongoing act of living off of the spirituality of others. Secondhand spirituality is the ongoing act of living off of the spirituality of others. And in our text this morning, we have a classic example of secondhand spirituality. In the book of Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, hear the word of the Lord. And the context here is, is Luke, who is writing the book of Acts, is talking about Paul, the apostle Paul, and his life in the church. And this is where it picks up. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched, that touched him were taken to the sick. And their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about. Uh, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating <laughs> that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding that is a beat down out of the house naked and bleeding the book of acts is the story of the church the gospels tell the story of jesus the book of acts tells the story of jesus through jesus's followers and this chapter chapter 19 is an important chapter for us in 21st century queens new york city because this chapter is essentially about a contrast. The, the, this chapter is contrasting the power of the Apostle Paul and a small group called the Seven Sons of Sceva. When we pick up in this text, it says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. It, it says that uh, during this season of Paul's life that God would work through him in very creative ways. At some point in, in Paul's ministry, God's power radiated through him that he did not have to be in a certain location for someone to be healed. All someone needed was an article of clothing belonging to Paul. And they would take that article of clothing to the person that was sick and somehow they would get healed. Now, marketers uh, for years have tried using this approach to sell products. Uh, growing up, uh, people believed that, and some still believe today, that if you only wore Michael Jordan sneakers, if you wore Jordans, you will play better. If you drank what Michael Jordan drank, Gatorade, when you get on the court, all of a sudden you'll be doing some moves that you couldn't do beforehand. But actually, what we've seen is the opposite. And actually, uh, just a case in point, when you go to the park next time to pick teams, it's usually the guy who has the nice sneakers and the nice outfit that plays the worst out of everybody. And so you can't manipulate sneakers and juice to get you to play better. But in Paul's case, God was working so powerfully and creatively through him that if people touched his handkerchief, uh, they would get healed. 
or if people uh, uh, would grab a hold of his apron, his work apron, and it was taken to the sick. In verse 12, it says, illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left him. We see this in the ministry of Jesus, don't we? That when someone comes up behind Jesus and they try to touch his cloak, they try to touch the hem of his garment, and power would come out of Jesus by just touching his cloak. We see this through, uh, through Peter where, uh, where Peter's very shadow, if someone were to trip and land on his shadow, they would get healed as a result of that. And so while this is taking place, word is getting around that in the name of Jesus, there is power. In the name of Jesus, the miraculous is possible. And then in verse 14, we begin to see an interesting development. There was a small group of men known as the seven sons of Sceva who were traveling Jewish exorcists. And they heard about Paul, and they heard about the name of Jesus. And assuming that the power of Jesus' name was like magic, they tried to do what Paul was doing. They tried to invoke the name of Jesus to heal. Now, in the past, they would do different uh, exorcisms. They would perform exorcisms with magic and such. But in this case, they wanted to add a new twist. They wanted to do it in Jesus' name name. The problem was they did not have a relationship with Jesus. And it was evident by the name that they tried to perform this exorcism. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches about, I command you to come out. It's like saying, in the name of Jesus, who Pastor Pete preaches about, I command you to come out. And it was evident one day that this was not working at all because one day they came across a demon-possessed man. And the evil spirit heard this command and knew that there was something missing from their lives. Isn't it interesting in the scriptures that demons are more spiritually discerning than people? <laughs> and so the evil spirit says these words. He says, Jesus I know. And Paul... I know about. Well, who are you? Driver's license, passport, identification. Who are you? And the demon knew who Paul was. The demon knew who Jesus was. But he did not recognize these guys. And so this demon-possessed man begins to pounce on these seven sons like Chuck Norris, like Jason Bourne overpowering them, barely escaping their lives. And it says that the man attacked them, leaving them naked and bleeding. It's one thing if you're bleeding, everybody. If you walk out of the house naked as well, what just happened in the house that you're walking out naked and bleeding? Now, what's really humorous is typically in the Gospels, demons are cast out of people. In this case, the demon is casting out the Jewish exorcist in this passage. And so on, on one hand, this passage uh, speaks against the use of Jesus' name as a commodity, the use of Jesus' name in superstitious ways. And all of us have our superstitious ways about us, especially when it comes to prayer, Jesus, and spiritual things. We, 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 wear, we pray to our Father particular ways superstitiously. We wear big crosses superstitiously. We put a Bible on the dashboard superstitiously. We carry a big Bible superstitiously. We give money superstitiously that if I just give money here, this is, some, this is like lotto, spiritual sanctified lotto. If I give a 
little bit here, God's going to bring it back this way. Much of our lives is superstitious. But the bigger picture I want to focus on is not just a superstitious spirituality we see in this passage. What we also see is a second-hand spirituality. They try to exercise power out of a second-hand relationship with Jesus. And so what's the difference between Paul and the seven sons? They, the difference is this. They tried walking around imitating something that they did not have a first-hand experience of. And the key phrase in all this is when they say, in the name of Jesus, that Paul preaches about. They knew about Jesus. They just didn't have firsthand experience with Jesus. It's easy to know about Jesus. Just Google Jesus. And millions of websites will come up letting you know about Jesus. But there is a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And most of the church is filled with people knowing about Jesus rather than knowing Jesus at all. And so here we have the seven sons of Sceva. They knew about Jesus. They didn't know him. And as a result, they lacked the very life of God that they were trying to give away. And so in the seven sons of Sceva, here we have, I believe, what is the biggest challenge in the church around the world. Because we tend to be like these seven men. The church tends to have a second-hand spirituality. And, this, and again, second-hand spirituality is the ongoing act of living off of the spirituality of others. Now, granted, most of our knowledge and experience is second-hand. We learned it from something else. We learned it from a book. Our, our knowledge and experience is, is learned through a teaching, a lecture, a sermon like this here. We, we learn certain things second-hand. And without question, there is a place for secondhand experience. There is a place for secondhand knowledge. We need the testimony of others. We need the experiences of others. We need the insights of others. But there are certain things that come our way that secondhand experience just won't do. Take movies, for example. Many of us have uh, had that friend that after they see the movie, they come up to you and say, guess what I just saw? And say, what did you just see? And they proceed to tell you the movie and tell you the plot. And, and they're about to tell you at the end of what, what's about to happen at the end. And if you're anything like me, you're just going say, stop talking. La, la, you whatever. Stop. Why? Because I want to see the movie myself. I want a first-hand experience with the movie. Don't tell me about the movie. I want to watch it myself. I want a first-hand experience with the movie. Or take food, for example. You don't let someone eat on your behalf. We're not content to know someone in front of us, a friend, and we're not content with uh, them just telling us how good the meal tastes. Don't, we we, we, no, we want to enjoy the meal ourselves. If a friend is uh, eating a delicious meal in front of you that smells amazing, you don't sit in front of them and say, so, so, so what's the flavors? Like... So tell me more about it. Is it spicy? What flavors are resonating with your palate? What's, what's that? No, no, if that's your friend, you say, hey, can you give me a piece of that? No, no, a bigger piece than that. You, you want to experience it firsthand yourself. Or take vacations. We don't let people take vacations on our behalf. 
You don't say, I am so tired and I really want to go on vacation, but I just can't find the time to do it. So how about you go on vacation and tell me all about it? No, that's secondhand. You want to go on vacation for yourself. And so listen, we don't do secondhand movie watching. We don't do secondhand eating. We don't do secondhand vacations. But the sad reality of the church and Christians is our churches are filled with a secondhand spirituality. Max Lucado says it this way, and I love this author, how he captures it. He says this, some of us have tried to have a quiet, daily quiet time and have not been successful. Others have had a hard time concentrating, and all of us are busy. So rather than spend time with God, listening for his voice, we'll let others spend time with him and let them benefit from the experience. But there are certain things no one can do for you. And one of those things is spending time with God. Now the question is, why do we have a secondhand spirituality? Why is this the pervasive reality in many of our lives? And as I see it, there, there are at least, there are probably many obstacles, but at least three obstacles that resonate, I, I think, deeply in our culture and deeply in our lives about why we have a secondhand spirituality. The, the first is this, that we, are, we live in a distracted culture. And distraction tends to subvert a firsthand spirituality with all the information at our disposal. It is so easy to get distracted. And with our mobile devices, our mobile devices have created an environment that breeds secondhand spirituality. A distraction because we are never present at all. And distraction has become such a problem uh, in places like China that they created a cell phone lane for texting pedestrians. And other countries are looking at this to learn from them here. Look what it says, you know, cell phones, walk in this lane at your own risk. I've seen some of you texting across Queens Boulevard trying to do something like this. Yeah, please don't do that. Uh, you know, distraction is such an obstacle to a first-hand spirituality. In addition to just distraction, though, uh, I believe that the reason why we have a secondhand spirituality is because of we're not equipped. Many of us uh, don't know what we're doing. And I meet people every week that say, uh, Rich, I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know where to start. It doesn't make any sense. What do you do when you pray? And so our job at New Life for 28 years, it's been to try to do our best to equip you so that you can cultivate your own relationship with Jesus. And so for every class that we offer, every seminar that we put together, for every retreat is an opportunity to be equipped so that you can cultivate your own firsthand spirituality with Christ. And so distraction is an obstacle, not being equipped is an obstacle, but I think the biggest obstacle before us of why we cultivate a secondhand spirituality is busyness. This might be the biggest obstacle before us. And the way I see it, there's two kinds of busyness. There is, first of all, regular busyness. Busyness as a way of life. We fill our calendars. We take on more than we can handle. Many of us are workaholics. We can't imagine ourselves not doing any work. And it is out of that, that full life that then we try to squeeze a little bit of God in our already packed schedule. That's regular busyness. 
And that regular busyness keeps us from cultivating firsthand spirituality with God. The other busyness, which is just as dangerous, might be even more dangerous and deceitful, is what I call religious busyness. So you have regular busyness, and then you have religious busyness, which is being busy for God. And what happens is our doing for God replaces our being with God. And your busyness for God does not equal first-hand spirituality. And it's very easy for churches to measure. The metric that churches tend to measure spiritual maturity tends to be how busy you are for the church. And if the more busy you are for the church, the greater measure of spiritual maturity. It's believed this. And listen, there's tons of stuff to do. We want you engaged. We want you volunteering. We want you serving. But never fall into the illusion that the busy you are for God, the more mature you are in your spirituality. This is an illusion. This religious busyness. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Lord, we were so busy for you. And then Jesus says, I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. You were so busy for me that you never got to know me. And I never got to know you. I never knew you. And so this regular busyness and this religious busyness uh, keeps us cultivating this secondhand spirituality. Now, with all of this information before us, with all this kind of like bad news before us, you would think that in light of our busyness, in light of the ways that we crowd God out of our regular lives, out of our calendars, the fact that we many times refuse to prioritize our lives around time with God, you would think that God would penalize us. You would think that God would say, you forgot about me that long? See how long I'm going to forget about you now. But that's not what God does. And here is the good news of God's grace. And it is this, that at any moment of our lives, we can enter into firsthand experience with God. At any moment of our lives. This is, this is what's amazing. At any moment of our lives, we can enter into a firsthand spirituality with God. This is grace. Incredible news. God has every right to say, you had your chance two weeks ago. I gave you all the signs. And you just blew right by them. I'm not giving you any other. No, no. That's not at all. The gospel of grace is at any moment of our lives, we can enter into first hand experience with God. I love what one devotion I read recently says. It says, at any time of the day or night, we can call on Jesus. He is always waiting, listening for our call. What a wonderful blessing. No phone needed, no emails, just a whisper. At any moment, his grace is so welcoming that he says, if you just turn in a moment, I'll take you back. Now, last week I, I, at our staff meeting, we focused on Luke chapter 15 uh, in our midday prayer. And I've read this passage hundreds of times. It's the story of the prodigal son. But this week as I heard the text being read, something resonated deeply with me. 
And you know the story. The story is about two sons. One son says, Dad, give me my money that belongs to me, my inheritance. He goes out and he squanders it. He lives riotously. He, he spends his money on prostitutes. He, it's just, he's just living astray from the father's love. And there comes a day where he runs out of money. And at the same time, there's a famine in the land. And so this man is probably very hungry, maybe, maybe skin and bones. We don't know how long it's been since he's eaten the meal. And he comes to a point in his life where he says, he, he's by a, 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 where, where pigs are feeding. And he says, if I can just eat some of that, I will be satisfied. And then he comes to his senses and he says, but maybe I can go back to my father's house. His servants are eating pretty well right now. And this is be- they're, what they're eating is much better what these pigs are eating. So he gets up and goes back to the father. And when you imagine the prodigal son, what came to me, this is like if this is how, he, if he's been hanging out with pigs and not eating, he probably looks like this here. Typically when we think of the prodigal son, we know the, story, the, the, the painting of Rembrandt that we always highlight at New Life. But but, but I think he probably looks more like this picture right here. And what struck me in the reading this week was the father's reaction when the son came home. Because when the father's looking out from, he sees the son coming in the distance, he goes, that's my son. And it says he runs out to his son, and then he probably sees his son in this condition. And notice what the story doesn't say. The story doesn't say, the father says, oh, let's get you a bath, some soap, some deodorant, some cologne. And then when the son came out of the bath, he goes, oh, son, give me a hug. I missed you so much. It doesn't say that. The story says that while the son looked like that and he was walking down, the father runs to his son. And the story says the father throws himself on the son and kissed him. And it's not just like, oh, what is that? The word is a repeated kiss. It's a, oh, I missed missed you, my son, the same way I kissed my nine-month-old son, Nathan, I love you, baby. He's kissing his son in this way. And it's the picture of grace. Notice that God doesn't say, clean yourself up and then I'll love on you. No, God said, as you are in your filth, in your stench, in your smell, come over here. This is grace. And every time we say, I'm going to go my own way, I'm going to cultivate a secondhand spirituality, this is how we end up looking. And whenever we say, God, I want to come back to you, he doesn't say, get washed up first and then come to me. He says, as you are right here, let let me kiss you, let me love you. I'll get you a bath, I'll, I'll get you a robe, I'll get you a ring, I'll get you sandals. Let's throw a party from, but the Father's love is so expansive. The Father's love is remarkable. Grace is God kissing you right when you come back to him. And it is out of this beautiful place of grace that God wants to reshape our hearts and reshape our habits. It is is not that these uh, habits that we want to cultivate in this series get God to love us more. It's that God already loves us with an expansive, remarkable love. And it is this scandalous love of God that is to reshape our hearts and reshape our habits as well. To cultivate a firsthand spirituality that transforms us beneath the surface of our lives. And so this is why we're doing this series. This is why this is an introduction. This is why this is an overview. Because over the next seven weeks or so, 
we're going to be focusing on different themes to cultivate a firsthand spirituality with God, a firsthand spirituality with God. And if you cultivate these practices that I'm going to talk about in a moment, little by little, incrementally, you will experience a deep, beneath-the-surface transformed life. And we're calling it vital signs. These are the signs that show that you are alive when you're doing these things. And, and these vital signs will shape the character of Christ in us. And in addition to that, these vital signs will be the source of strength and stability as you go through ups and downs in our lives. And so these are the seven vital signs that we're going to be talking about. And uh, to help us all, they all start with the letter S, okay, just, just for memorization purposes. The first thing we're going to be talking about is about Scripture. Scripture. The vital sign of Scripture. To cultivate a firsthand spirituality with God, you can't do it apart from the pages of Scripture. And the challenge that, that the church faces today are really two challenges as it pertains to Scripture. One is that we are biblically illiterate. We don't read the Bible. We don't know Adam from Moses. We have a hard time with reading the Bible. That's the first problem. The other problem about a, uh, a Scripture is this. When we read the Bible, many of us read it for information rather than for transformation. And so the goal of this series is to get us to the place where we love Scripture, where we're quiet enough to hear God speaking to us through the pages of Scripture, that we're able to read it for ourselves, not having to come to church on a Sunday morning to hear what Rich says about it or what Pete says about it, but the Holy Spirit himself can lead you and guide you in the way that you should go. We want you to love the gift of Scripture. We're going to talk about scripture. We're also going to talk about cultivating silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. And the challenge we face before we, 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 that's before us is we live in such a noisy, cluttered world, such a noisy, cluttered culture. New York City is a city that never sleeps. How do you have a firsthand spirituality without creating space to be with God, without being silent enough, silencing the outer voices and silencing the inner voices so that you can hear God with a clarity, with a precision, with a firsthand spirituality. And so this series we're going to talk about what does it mean to cultivate silence and solitude. We're going to talk about Sabbath keeping. And if you're going to cultivate a firsthand spirituality with God that transforms you deep beneath the surface, how do we practice Sabbath? A 24-hour period where we stop, where we rest, where we delight, where we contemplate. And the truth about our world is we are so busy. And we live under the illusion that if I just had a vacation, things would be better. If I just had a vacation. No, no, no. You don't need a vacation, everybody. You need a Sabbath. I just need to go to Disney World. No, you don't. That'll make you worse. That'll make you worse. Well, and you're going to debt. That's not what we want. What we, we want to cultivate a firsthand spirituality. Many of us don't need vacations. We just need a Sabbath, a 24-hour period where we stop, rest in God, delight in the gifts of the world, contemplate his love. That's what we desperately need in the world. We're also going to be talking about what is uh, cultivating spiritual companionship. And the obstacle before us is we try to follow Jesus by ourselves. We think, I, I, I know what it takes to follow Jesus, but you were not made to follow Jesus in isolation. You were made to follow Jesus 
in community. As Thomas Merton has said, no man, no woman is an island. You cannot follow Jesus on your own. Jesus had a small group. And if, if Jesus had a small group that he did life with, how much more do we need spiritual companions on the journey with us? So we'll talk about spiritual companions. We're also going to be talking about emotionally healthy skills. The problem is we lack skills to love like Jesus loves. And we are called to love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We lack a skillful way of loving in this world. And so how do we wrestle with conflict and how do we deal with what's happening in our inner lives? How do we love God, love ourselves, and love others skillfully? We'll talk about that. We're also going to be talking about self-reflection. Self-reflection. The truth is much of us, we don't live our lives reflecting much. As Henry Nouwen has said, he said 50% of our lives should be lived reflecting on the other 50% that is lived. What's your percentage look like? It's typically like our percentage is like we, we, we reflect 0.5% of our lives reflecting on the 99.5% that is lived. And there's, we miss out on, on profound opportunities to hear God speak to us. As we begin to look within to our emotions, to our dreams, to our hopes, to our desires, to our fears, that we cultivate self-reflection. And finally, uh, to have a first-hand spirituality means that, that all of this is done so that we can serve the world around us. This is not just for me and Jesus. This is not just for, so I can have some religious goodies. This is for the sake of the world. This is for the blessing of the world. And the reason why we need to have a first-hand experience with God is because we cannot give what we don't possess. And what, we need, what the world desperately needs is God, the God who Jesus reveals. And if we don't have this God, a first-hand experience with this God, we cannot give the world what it desperately needs. And so we're going to focus on these seven areas over the next couple of months. I'm so excited for this. Because I believe after these months, if we begin to slowly and incrementally practice these vital signs, I believe God will do a significant transformation in our lives. The church in the book of Acts is filled with examples of firsthand spirituality. And God is not content with having a secondhand relationship with you. He wants to have a firsthand relationship with you. And so many of you probably, you've been distracted this week or incredibly busy. And I want to end with these words that I showed a couple of moments ago. That at any time of the day or night, we can call on Jesus. He is always waiting, listening for our call. What a wonderful blessing. No phone needed, no emails, just a whisper. Henry Nouwen said that every time... We wandered from the love of the Father. We're lost. I say it this way. Every time we have a secondhand spirituality, we're lost, like the prodigal son was. Most of us, when we think of the prodigal son, we say, I'm not doing drugs. I'm not going crazy with my life. I'm not making all these bad decisions. Rich, I come to church every Sunday. And it's possible that we can come to church every Sunday and still have a secondhand relationship with God. And as Henry Nouwen said, he goes, every time you basically have a secondhand relationship with God, this is how we end up looking. This is our lives. And yet, 
in spite of all of that, God says, at any moment, if you turn your way towards me, I will love you with an everlasting love. This is the good news of grace. Will you say amen? I want to invite the worship team to come forward. I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want to give us a moment to have a firsthand spirituality with God. One of the things we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is silence and solitude. So I want to give you a moment just to close your eyes. Maybe your heart has been wandering this week. Maybe your heart has been wandering your entire life. Maybe you're not even a Christian today. Jesus says to you, at any moment, if you turn, you'll be turning into open arms wide open for you. So I want to give us a moment of just repentance. Every Sunday when we come together, we come to hear the good news of grace. And that grace, that kindness of God is to lead us to repentance. And every Sunday is an opportunity for us to repent of all the ways. I've been so busy, Lord, I've crowded you out. I've been so distracted, I have no time for you. And today we hear, wow, there is a life that God dreams for us to have. If only we'll turn around. So I want to give us a moment and then uh, we'll sing together as we close our service. Let's just pause for about 30, 45 seconds and confess your own wandering heart to God. And let God wash you with his love and grace. Let's pause for a moment. Father, thank you for your grace over our lives. Thank you that at any moment we turn to you, you welcome us with compassion, with love, with forgiveness. And Lord, you dream for us to have a firsthand spirituality connected to your love, connected to your grace, out of which we love and serve the world. And so, Lord, thank you for the good news of grace. That at any moment we can come to you. No cell phones needed, no email, just a whisper. So we sing to you now, Lord. As we sing, may your spirit fill us with your joy, with your peace, with your power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said.